ComC is your home for buying, selling, and flipping all the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 27 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With a ComC account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time and ship them home together later, or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace. To stay updated with ComC, please follow them on social media at Check Out My Cards, one word, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn about offers, promotions, and more at ComC, please visit blog.comc.com. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. and welcome to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. I'm recording this on the morning of Super Bowl Sunday. And I've been asked several times this week who I want to win. And the reality is, I'm a Bears fan. I really don't care who wins, but I'd kind of like to see Matthew Stafford get a Super Bowl victory after suffering for years and years in Detroit, getting a chance to play on a different team this year, going to the Super Bowl in his first season with them. I'd love to see him get a chance to, to win one. I think Joe Burrow's going to have a lot of chances you know, in the upcoming years, but uh, Matthew Stafford is, is kind of on the latter half of his career, so I'd like to see him get a Super Bowl victory. So by the time that you hear this, we'll know if that came true or not, but that's kind of one of the things that's on my mind today. I've also been thinking about this week, that we're finally starting to see some supplies come back into reasonable ranges. Instead of the days of 80, 90, 100, $140 cases of penny sleeves, you can get those down in the 50 or $60 range. And the same thing with top loaders. You can get bulk top loaders now in the $60 a case range. Or if even if you're just buying one case, you can get them around $80 a case. And that caught my eye because I saw listings on eBay of used top loaders selling for more than that. And so used top loaders are great. I use them all the time. They have a place, but don't pay more for used top loaders than it costs for new top loaders. Make sure you're paying the right price. So that's my little public service announcement that I've also been thinking about today. Neither of those two things are our main topic today. I have on another guest somebody who is a fellow content creator that I had a chance to meet at the Industry Summit in Las Vegas when we connected for an interview for his podcast, That 70s Card Show. John Keating is who we're going to be talking with today, and we're going to talk about his origin story and the origin of his show, That 70s Card Show. And so I hope you enjoy that conversation that we're going to have after I tell you about Underdog Collectibles, the online shop run by collectors for collectors that breaks new product every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday night. You can check them out at udogcollect.com to see what they're going to be breaking this week. And you can also visit them at their brick-and-mortar shop in Knoxville, Tennessee, where they've got a full selection of wax, singles, and you can even watch some of their breaks live there in the shop. Check them out at udogcollect.com and tell them Wax Pack Hero sent you. Well, I am joined today by John Keating, the host of That 70s Card Show. John and I first connected in Las Vegas when I was at the Industry Summit. He was there on work, and we wrangled ourselves a 
or a, a banquet room, I guess it was at 6 a.m. and sat down for a conversation that we did for his show. I wanted to have him on here today to talk a little bit about his background and his show. And so we'll go ahead and get started. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. And more importantly, thanks for meeting me in a ballroom at 6 a.m. in Las Vegas when you had no idea what you were getting yourself into. It seemed like I was already in Las Vegas for the week. Might as well have another adventure. I'm an early <laughs> riser. And, you know, being in the central time zone from Illinois, I was waking up at like 3.30 or 4 a.m. every day there in Vegas. So when you said like 6 a.m., does that work? I'm like, you bet it works because I'll have already been up for a couple hours anyway. So um, that was a lot of fun. This is this recording that we are are doing now is via Zoom. We are not in person this time. And and uh, while you are traveling, I am in my my basement at Wax Pack Hero HQ. So very good. Let's get started by by just hearing a little bit about your collecting background. Okay, so uh, I I covered it a little bit in some of the earlier. Uh, shows that I did. My brother, one of my brothers got busted for buying a whole bunch of wacky packages uh, uh, that my mom gave him some extra money for. He took, I took uh, liberties with that and spent a lot of money. That was my first recollection that there were cards. My first physical uh, remembrance of seeing cards where after we moved out of the city, I was probably five years old or six years old at the time. I remember seeing a box on the front porch in my mind, it's a refrigerator box, but it's probably just a normal size box. And I remember seeing a 73 William Mays, and that box was on the porch because uh, it was going to the trash. So I never saw that box again. Um, you know, through Little League, through uh, my, my family, everybody in my family are big uh, uh, Phillies fans in particular. Watched a lot of baseball. Uh, just started buying cards constantly and was bribed with cards uh, to not bite my nails, do homework uh, not argue with my brother, stuff like that. So I've been collecting hardcore, uh, since the mid seventies, you know, I, I remember 75, 76 in particular. And, uh, from there on, uh, mostly baseball from there on out. So that's me. I said, kid from the seventies. Now, did you, did you take a break? Have you collected constantly through that period of time? Did you come and go kind of follow the, the <laughs> traditional story that we hear a lot, or did you, uh, collect the whole time well i'm a bit of a late bloomer so that means my break didn't come until my um probably my early 30s uh my collection survived kiss it survived girls it survived you know living on a bus touring the country and and uh it wasn't until probably the year 2000 i moved into my current house and packed up all the cards and and never unpacked them until probably uh, early 2021. Uh, my oldest son was collecting, got into collecting cards, a modern collector. And uh, I started unripping all those, all the saran wrap off of my cards, my monster boxes. And uh, through the years, you know, two, it was a long gap, 2000 to two, 2020. I tell people I collected credit cards instead of uh, uh, baseball cards at that point. But I looked at my, I had some slabs. I got into uh, the whole eBay thing in the late nineties and uh, bought some slabs and I would look at them every, at least once or twice a year. I would look at them. I had them in the safe in my basement, but uh, full on collecting, it really didn't happen. And again, until about a year or so ago. So here I am. 
you talked about your son kind of helped get you back into it and did, did he collect growing up as well or was I it tried. just a, a late in life thing for him too yeah i tried i took my my son is probably the most uh knowledgeable sports uh fan that i know he can converse with hockey fans throughout the country basketball fans soccer fans football baseball whatever he knows it's amazing how much knowledge he has and uh i try i took him to sporting events he played sports didn't really collect and then uh, we, we oddly enough i found a little when i was getting my cards out of the basement last year i found his little childhood briefcase is uh, had his name on it it had a bunch of 2007 tops in it he, you know i had tried over the years to buy him cards and i guess that was my last big push when he was 10 years old and uh you know, next thing I know, the kids got Kobe slab, Kobe rookie slabs and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, he, he, I tried, but he's a modern day collector in the truest sense, you know. Now, when you um, got things back out in early 2021, uh, did you step back into picking up anything newer or did you kind of continue to have that focus on the cards from the era that, that you grew up with? Yeah, I, I stopped uh, I'm one of those uh, strike guys. I, I in '94, I kind of stopped following baseball, picked up more on football, the NFL, stuff like that. Later on, soccer, uh, European soccer. Don't don't really know the players from the last 20 plus years. I mean, I you know you know I know Bonds and McGuire and all those guys, but then you know I don't know the difference between Boba Fett and Boba Shet, to tell you the truth. And I uh, I bought you know I have some of the heritage stuff because I like the old stuff, but. There's there's plenty of there's plenty of uh, stuff for me to find that I still don't have that I want from the 70s the 60s and 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 so on so so it's mostly uh, and I dipped my toe in the waters and uh, the waters were a little too chilly for me so back to vintage for me. So you got back in early last year, dusted off those cards I guess. At what point did you decide that you might want to? create a podcast or start to create some content what what prompted taking that step yeah well i mean obviously i i binged dr jim's stuff uh because he no secret how he's influenced most of us and i vividly recall the book coming out in 1979 and uh anyway i i listened to probably you know several hundred episodes within the course of a month Found another one, Matt Sam, Salmon's Wax Ecstatic. I found yours. And uh, I figured the 70s are kind of a unique time, right? The 70s were, in my opinion, underserved. And I'm not saying price-wise, although they are pretty cheap, a lot of the 70s stuff. But it's a lot that went, that went on in the 70s. It really needs to be discussed. You know, the, the 1970 to 1979 were completely different. Uh, and unlike any era in baseball, and of course, 79, we had, you know, college, college basketball kind of stepped in the limelight there and uh, with Magic and Larry Bird and the national championship and then their pro careers. So sports really took off and it became more of a, I don't know what it was like for you, but for us, you know, it was Phillies or nothing because you read the, the newspaper, you didn't have ESPN or anything like that. But then, you know, every sport became global in the 80s. So the 70s were kind of like, uh, you know, the rise of all that stuff, the stadiums changed, the uniforms changed, the game changed. We had, you know, suddenly we had relief pitchers and DHs and uh, stuff like that, AstroTurf, polyester. So it's really uh, a, a fun time, not only on the field, but off the field, as well as uh, culturally. 
there was a lot going on. Um, so I'm a history nerd. So, and a baseball nerd. So it, it kind of, I had something to talk about. And, uh, as, as everybody knows, the Irish can use a lot of words and say very little. So you might, if you listen to me long enough, you might learn a thing or two, but it'll take a long time, you know, take 50 minutes to learn one little item, but I'll, uh, I'll keep trying. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that I enjoy about your show is it adds more to the story than just the cards themselves, more to the story than just the set or the the player, but you, you go in and you tell a little bit more about what was happening in society at that time and how some of those things might've influenced things. That's one of the things um, that I liked about Matt's show as well. You know, he would cover a set, but then he'd pick a couple of those random players and kind of give us the full story of what went on in their career and what's gone on with them post-career too. And, and that was, that was something that was different than what a lot of other card focused content creators are putting out there. And so I think that's one of the reasons that, that I, I latched onto your show a little bit when I found it too, you know, speaking of that, I discovered your show after you had been a guest on Dr. Beckett's podcast just curious, how did, how did that come about? You know, you, you also had a fairly new show at the time. How did that go about? Was it you reaching out to him and engaging because you had been listening to his show or did he find you on his own or how did, how exactly did that work out? Well, uh, I would ask, man, you can describe me as many different ways, a contrarian or somebody likes to argue about stuff. I'm just curious. So I I would ask him questions. I I wouldn't say I was spamming him, but I'd send him a question every now and then. And then he reached out to me and said, Hey, why don't you come on the show? I think the first topic we talked about was soccer, uh, European soccer. And uh, so I came on and we've, we've, you know, he's been on my show. I've been on his show a couple of times and uh, um, we're going to talk next week again. Uh, but I send him questions every now and then. And he goes uh, radio silent on me for for a while. And then all of a sudden it'll pop up, you know, because I'll send him a question or two questions at a time. And then once he has enough questions, we'll get together and, and chat about it. So I got to meet him in Dallas. Uh, I met him and Rich Klein uh, at the Dallas Card Show a while back. So uh, I've met him in person obviously a wonderful guy. He is, he is as advertised really. And that's part of, you know, we talk about the seventies is I I don't know. I don't want to say it's like Woodstock, but, but prior to then there, there, there was, I feel like everything was, you know, kind of backroom dealings in the business and in the seventies, it came out, you know, I started going to card shows. It really became you know, a, a true side hustle, or as I call a hobby, hobbypreneur, you're a hobbypreneur as well. It just, it became a, uh, a business and an industry. And uh, so that, that, that has a lot to do with it as well, right? The seventies were not only on, on us in sports, but also in our hobby, it was a pretty big shift. Um, so anyway, long story short, I talked to Dr. Jim, uh, I sent him emails and he, he entertains and humors me and, and we get together and throw some questions around. Yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun getting a chance to get to know him, get, get a chance to pick his brain and, um, you know, something that me growing up, I would have never imagined I would have had an an opportunity to do, but it's been so cool to get a chance to do that. And he's like you, Mike, he's like, he gets to the point quick and says what he, you know, he, he, his show is packed full of nuggets, just like yours. I'm like Matt Salmon where I can ramble for an hour and a half. So (laughs) 
you know, that there's a difference. You're more like him. So, well, I, I think it's amazing to me. Like, so yeah, we've got similar episode lengths. You know, I'm usually in that 15 to 20 minute range. If it's just me doing a solo episode a little bit longer, if I have a guest, but he's doing that five days a week or six days a week sometimes. And so he is still packing in the content, you know, uh, day after day, which is, which is pretty impressive. And you know, he cheats, right? You, you do know he cheats by uh, uh, speeding the, speeding the tape up when he plays it back. Uh, it so does. It, he could, do that? it could be a 19 minute episode, but he'll tweak it. So it's 15 minutes. That's, that's good to know. I have to keep yeah. a, keep an ear out for that. If the guest sounds like they're on helium, it's that that's why, because he's cranked up the speed on that playback. So sorry, Dr. Jim, I apologize. A little call out there. Yeah. <laughs> You're on about episode 40, 41, somewhere in that range right now. Um, you've done topics that spanned hockey, baseball, football, basketball. You've covered, you know, all, all four of the big sports there uh, and even a little bit of soccer you mentioned early on that wacky packages were one of the first things that that you got exposed to any plans for covering any of the non-sport issues star wars or some of the other movies or tv show cards that are out there or even you know some of those other entertainment type cards sure i bet you at some point i'm going to cover kiss cards even though i was obsessed with kiss back in the 70s i never bought one of their cars i had all the posters albums so i'm i could see it happening right i had an i bought a collection this this past summer and i left the uh the non sports stuff on the table i should have taken it of course but you know it's interesting that I don't, that I don't, uh, I don't, I'm not a comic book guy. I'm not a, uh, definitely not a star Wars guy. I, I saw the first two star Wars in theaters and, and that's the extent of that. So I, I think that I don't have the bandwidth for that stuff. And I'm not saying uh, I won't cover it because I'm all, I like to learn. I do the show mostly to learn, you know, as I've said in the past, it's heavily researched, but it's poorly executed my show, but I still, I still get to learn. I still learn a lot. So, uh, from a educational aspect, it probably makes sense to to look into that. Maybe some Charlie's Charlie's Angels cards. We'll see if that uh, moves the needle a little. Fleer put out a Gong Show set there in I the late the 70s too. Yeah, I love the Gong Show. <laughs> some people have told me I've not done the research yet myself. Some people have told me that is actually Steve Martin's rookie card. If if oh, Steve really? Martin could have a rookie card, I believe he's got a card in that in that late seventies awesome. Gong Show set that that would be his first appearance on a card. Wow! See, I just I, learned something. I've got two wax boxes of that sitting at the shop that are still sealed. I need to uh, dig in a little bit more because they've been sitting there in my case since I opened it a year. Opened up the shop a year and a half ago. I I could probably it'd probably be beneficial for me to learn a little bit more about that uh, set so that I could tell the story a little bit more about what yeah, the heck right. it is and what's inside it. It might pique a little more interest than, than it's shown so far. That's funny. I didn't even know that. You're 40 episodes in. One of the other things I always like to talk about when I'm having a conversation with, with somebody else who's creating hobby content is you, you said one of your primary focuses is to learn both for you and to educate others. I guess, what is, what are some of the biggest things that you've learned so far about creating content? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, there's the technical aspect, right? And, and I'm supposed to be a technical guy, not necessarily computers, but uh, live production. 
there's that end. And uh, the biggest thing that I feel like if I can give myself a pat on the back is that I don't, like I, I'm not doing it for anybody else, right? I'm doing it for myself. So I, I, I go into it with a clear, I say I'm sponsored by nobody and that's not, that that's just a riff from Neil Young who did a whole tour where he's sponsored by nobody. So it's not a, you know, I would love to be sponsored by somebody that could give me free cards or something like that, but I'm doing it for myself. And I think that I, that's part of when I, when I say that it's part of it, I'm reiterating to myself that this is just kind of for me, if other people listen, it's great. But the coolest thing is uh, meeting, meeting people like yourself, Dr. Jim, Rich and other folks who reach out. So I'm, I'm an introvert. I'm a loner. I, I've always collected in a vacuum. And I, I find that that's not happening anymore. People are sending me cards. I'm sending other people cards with no strings attached. So, you know, I think that that's the best part is learning that there's other people out there and one or two people appreciate what you're doing. And, and that's awesome. I guess it's just, the, you know, it is a great hobby and uh, it's such a big hobby, but it's neat to, uh, I'm kind of coming out of my shell and, and, and meeting people. So that's, that's a big thing as well. I say I do it for myself, but it's, it's neat to uh, meet people um, and see what great people are out there. And, and, you know, whether it's through a DM or an email or just a comment on YouTube, it's just, that's been my favorite part, I guess, so far. Yeah, that opportunity to, to stretch yourself, to challenge yourself, to push and grow a little bit is pretty cool. And especially when that's the aspect that's challenging you, because that hobby community is such a, an important piece of enjoying the hobby, or it can be, I should say, an important piece of enjoying the hobby. Some people love that aspect of being able to, to wind down by themselves and go through their cards and, and, and build out their collections and, and other people thrive on that social interaction or, or doing it with others. And so it's cool that that's been a, a piece that you've been able to add as, as you go through it. Do you have kind of a vision on, on where you want it to go? You know, um, Dr. Jim talks about his initial vision of doing a, a thousand episodes or whatever it is. And, and that's where, where he, um, was shooting for at the beginning. You've talked about primarily kind of doing it for yourself, but do you have kind of a vision on where you want the, the show to go? I don't. And it's funny, Dr. Jim said to me, well, John, there's only so many sets you can cover, right? And I'm sure he was he, he referring to four sports times 10 sets, but uh, I hope that I've proven that there's more to talk about than just those 10 sets from each sport, uh, the main sports. I don't know. I don't have a roadmap. And I, if you had asked me six months ago whether I'd be doing an episode about Fritz Peterson and Mike Kekic, uh, I, I, it, w- wasn't, it wasn't on my horizon, right? But it's just, you know, the, the more, more of these rabbit holes you go into, and the one I'm going to feature this weekend coming up, no, I had no idea the set existed, the players on the cards existed, you know, it, it's, that's the cool thing about it. We don't know. And I've been in this hobby off and on since 1974, 75. And it's amazing how many things are out there that I've never seen. Right. And, uh, I'm not going to pretend that I'm, I'm, uh, I have this ship on a course. It's not on a course at all. We're just, uh, you know, we're like cousin Eddie in vacation. We're just put the camper wherever, whatever driveway is open. That's where I'm headed, you know? Yeah, I loved the episode on the the Pepsi glove discs, and you touched on some of the other MS, MSA discs that are out there. That was another product that I had discovered 
I don't know, sometime about a year, year and a half ago and was, was confused at first because I thought I was seeing the same card, but it's like, <laughs> wait, this one says holiday Inn, And then this one says cranes. And then this one says, yep. you know, that there's just, and yeah. then I kind of dug in a little bit and found, Oh, okay. Yeah. They put out about 12 or 15 <laughs> different yeah. brands using the same kind of disc format. Um, and that got me going down a path of trying to track down a, a bunch of those different variations and varieties. And yeah, um, I just got a, uh, I just, I just last week I bought the wiffle ball set, right? It's 81 cards. And the guy says, I'm going to throw some other stuff in there. This is on eBay. I got a blank back set of discs. You may have seen on, on uh, Twitter. I got the 86 Jiffy. He threw all that stuff in there, which is crazy, you know? So it's, these things seem to be multiplying, right? You bought by one set and three sets show up. So cool stuff. Yeah. I think uh, the chili willies are my, are my favorite. I discovered those because I bought an, a huge Nolan Ryan collection last summer. Like essentially every Ryan card from 68 up to the mid 90s from when he stopped playing. And in there were a bunch of these discs, the cranes and all that, the Isolets. And, and I actually sold them, but I was, and then I, I said, wait a minute, I, I need to look at this even a little bit more when I started the podcast. And so I ended up, you know, getting the set, buying the set back. So yeah, it's great. And then you've got, being in the seventies, you've got all the, the hostess, the hostess cards that, that could get worked in. And so yep. there, I think there's going to be plenty to talk about for you, for you to keep right. going as long as you're having fun with it. Yeah. And uh, like I said, this one coming up is going to be pretty interesting. You saw a picture of it on Twitter, but uh, you know, I bought a set from overseas and it's the first time I've ever bought anything from overseas. And I was amazed with what I got. So can't wait to dive into that. Cool. Uh, is there anything in particular from a, a collection perspective that you're focused in on right now? Um, I, I love buying the old stuff, you know, fifties and sixties. Uh, so right now I bought a couple collections that I'm still processing and it's embarrassing, but I'm, I'm there, there was a gap from my collection. And like I said, I started buying slabs in the mid to late nineties and, and I bought a collection. I called the Amish collection um, in Lancaster PA where it covers from 1995 to 2005 and it's pretty uh, comprehensive. So about 50,000 cards, I've been processing those, sorting them, you know, from manufacturer, then down to year, then I log them into Beckett OPG. So it's taken me some time buying the older cards that I love. There's been a pause on that. I kind of went crazy last year. I, I, I finished the Mantle base run except for the 52 tops. So I had a pretty good year last year doing all that stuff, but I hit, hit the brakes and kind of uh, processing and onboarding all these um, cards from 95 to 2005. And then there's basketball, there's football. I, I have a long way to go. So uh, it's fun though. That's what's great about the hobby. I have my goals and I have my sheet you know, my hit list, I call it my 2022 hit lists. There's stuff on there, like an Ernie Banks rookie, a Johnny Bench rookie, stuff like that. But uh, that'll always be there. I have to get this stuff into my collection. And then as all of us go through, you you, you have kind of a, a crossroads where you want to go with your collection. Do I want to sell this modern stuff or modernish stuff? Or do I just, you know, my goal from the get-go, I've always said from uh, the time I started was to have every own every baseball card. So getting rid of them doesn't make any sense, you know, just, uh, but I will tell you this, what's interesting. One thing I learned is 
you could talk about uh, the steroid era and all that stuff and how this guy shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, but the most popular cards I've noticed by logging stuff in here are Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, as far as value. So say what you say what you want publicly, but uh, these guys, there's still a huge market for these guys, you know. When we had talked before, you had asked me, you know, kind of what my coffin card is or what's my one card that I wouldn't wouldn't want to let go of. And and we'd talked about it being Thad Bosley. I'm gonna flip that back onto you too. Is there is there one card that that it stands out above all the rest when it comes to your collection that you would never want to let go of? Yeah, I've spoken about the 1960 Carl Yastrzemski rookie. And for some reason, remember back in the 70s here, you could have an American League team if you were from Philadelphia because you never they never they never played the Phillies, so it didn't matter. So I don't know why. I think it was the name uh, that I, I picked Yaz. And I loved everything about Yaz. I loved the number eight he wore. I loved his stance. I loved everything about Yaz. So my dad, sometime in the late uh 70s maybe 1980 uh begged him for the rookie card uh he spent 25 dollars i am you know i I said this before i i'd pay him back a dollar a month for the for the 25 months it took to pay it off and i i pretty sure i paid him two bucks uh i have that that's my card i sent that out this uh past summer to get graded sgc it came back at three but it it's priceless to me i have i have an an eight uh, a PSA eight that I got in the late nineties, uh, but this one is my, uh, it's going with me till the end, Let's right see. into the, uh, right into the oven with me, Mike. <laughs> there you go. That then there'll be uh, one less on the pop report. We'll make sure to update <laughs> SGC on that. Was, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. You can have the, you can have the uh, PSA one, but the, the SGC three is not going anywhere without me. Is there any is there any particular card that you know you talked about a couple that are on your hit list, but any kind of overarching card on your hit list for for your next several years or whatever it might be? Um, obviously it's such a deep pool, right? With the pre-war stuff, and I have some pre-war stuff. Um, I've, I've uh, you know I don't have anything that crazy. I just I have a T two hundred five Christy Matthewson, which is great, but it's a PSA one. But otherwise, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to finish the, uh, trying to finish my 72 set, my 70 set, and my 69 set. And out of those three sets, I have less than 100. So, uh, and there's no heavy hitters in there. I guess the biggest one is a Raleigh Fingers rookie, but the rest are high numbers. But uh, yeah, I don't, uh, like, there's nothing that I need right now. There's nothing I'm searching for. I find that if you make a list, you know, and you go to a card show, we all know that opportunity sometimes drops into your lap. Good example is this Amish collection I bought. I'm putting together a set, uh, a friend uh, that I met through the show wanted a 1980, he said he was starting his 1980 set. And I, I'm sorting, I put my 1980 tops off to the side and sorting out the starter set for him and bam, up a Ricky Henderson pops up, right? And I already had the Ricky Henderson rookie, but it's, you just never know what's going to happen, what's going to pop out. So um, we'll see what happens. You know, I had, like I said, I have my list, but I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not obsessed with the list. It's just kind of a guide, right? It's, it's like life. As soon as the first shots fired, the plan goes out the window in a war. So, you know, you kind of have a plan A, a plan B and a plan C and just see what happens. Well, I appreciate you uh, coming on tonight, having a, having a chance to talk cards for a little bit, talk a little bit about your show. 
why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and find the show? Well, I'm uh, that 70s card show on most podcast platforms. If there's one that I'm not on, I'm not aware of it. And I'm on, I also uh, broadcast the show on um, YouTube at that 70s card show. And you can find me on Twitter at 70s card. Other than that, I am, there's just too many balls to juggle after that. I'm not, I'm, I'm on Instagram, but I'm not, uh, I'm on Facebook, but I'm not as far as the show. So uh, yeah, find me anywhere you want. And uh Drop me some uh, lines of discouragement or encouragement, whatever you want. I, I'm a big boy. I can take it. And um, yeah, it's just going to keep talking as long as, uh, as long as people keep listening, I guess. Yeah, I would definitely recommend that, that all y'all check it out, um, especially if you want to learn more about those cards that were released in the 70s. And like I said before, what was going on at the time, it's a great listen. So John, thanks again for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. The Sports Card Shop is your small-town local card shop with a global reach. Located in New Buffalo, Michigan, the shop is one of the most accessible in the Midwest. In addition to being an authorized Panini Direct Dealer, the Sports Card Shop carries all major trading card brands, including Tops, Upper Deck, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh!, and more. With all that new wax, a half million singles, and showcases full of graded cards, you're sure to find something great for your collection, whether you're just starting out or a seasoned collector. The Sports Card Shop is your one-stop shop. So call us, come see us, or visit us on the web and social media. Our phone number is 269-469-0140. Website is thesportscardshop at moco.com. The Sports Card Shop is part of the MoCo Retail Group, connecting sports, the hobby, and people around the world. I want to once again encourage you to go check out John's show, That 70s Card Show. If you want to learn about the 70s and the context that existed in the world when those cards were created, I enjoy listening to it when every week when he puts out a new episodes, and I think you will too, so go check that out. If you like this show, if you like the the Wax Pack Heroes Sports Card Minute, I would encourage you to reach out and let me know what you like about it because then I can keep doing more of it. But you can also let me know what you don't like if that's the case as well. Leave a rating and review on your podcast app of choice. I'd really appreciate that. And make sure to tell a friend. I'd love to continue to grow this audience. And by you helping me tell your friends about the shows that you enjoy, that's a big part in helping that happen. Thanks again for tuning in today. That's all I've got for you. So I'll catch you next time.